All right, good morning. It's a little bit past time to begin our Bible study this morning, uh, but that's okay. I'm thankful for your attendance, thankful for you to, uh, for you to be here as we continue studying uh, the life of Christ. We are in uh, lesson number nine. Uh, that probably will have something to the effect of the beginning of the ministry of John the Baptist. And so we finally reached the point in our study uh, of... Jesus and John are now going to be, you know, in their 30s. They're going to be grown men. We've spent quite a bit of time talking about uh, their early life, uh, being born, uh, the circumstances around their birth, and uh, their early years. Uh, You know, really, the the, the first 30 years of Jesus' life, we only have so much information about. And so that's what we looked at the past couple of weeks. Uh, We we talked about the, the flight into Egypt. Uh, again, you know, the angel coming to uh, Joseph in the dream and warning him to uh, take his family and flee to Egypt because uh, Herod was looking to uh, destroy uh, any child, any, or any male child in the Bethlehem region who was two years and younger uh, because of the prophecy that, you know, the, that the king, a king has been born. And so uh, he was... Uh, his throne was threatened, and so he ordered the execution of all those children, uh, babies. Again, we, uh, you know, thinking of the population of Bethlehem, you know, scholars say that could be anywhere from 10 to, you know, 50 baby boys that would have lost their lives because of this, uh, this decree that Herod had made. And again, but that, you know, is one too many, right? And so, um, so we see they flee into Egypt. They stay there until uh, God tells them it's time to come back. Uh, instead of now, and I keep putting the map up here because I think it, it's helpful to see uh, as we uh, continue in these early years when there's a lot of cities and places uh, being described. It appeared that you know Joseph wanted to go back to Bethlehem. Uh, you know Egypt would have been down here, and uh, it appeared that he wanted to go back to Bethlehem. But because he found out that uh, Herod's son was still in, or was now in power. He was afraid to go back to that region, and so they go back all the way up to the northern region of Galilee, uh, specifically to the city of Nazareth, uh, which is where Jesus is going to be raised. And of course, that's where Mary and Joseph were originally from. And so they go back to Nazareth, and uh, that fulfills uh, another prophecy that we talked about on Wednesday: the, the prophecy that he would be called the Nazarene, really focusing in on. You know, that he was going to be uh, uh, coming from a place that was despised and shamed, which fits uh, what the Messiah was to be, um, as according to prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53. And then we saw one little glimpse of uh, Jesus' life as a 12-year-old in Luke chapter 2. If you remember, they go to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Uh, Mary and Joseph and the caravan head back towards uh, Nazareth. But, of course, Jesus is not with them. Uh, and turns, they turn around, uh, they come back to Jerusalem, and they find Jesus in the temple, you know, listening to the teachers and asking questions. And uh, the first words of Jesus are uttered uh, in those accounts, right, where he says, Didn't, Did you not know that I had to be of my father's business or that I had to be in my father's house? And so uh, those were the first words recorded of Jesus. And then we also we, we noticed that Jesus had a well-balanced uh, uh, childhood. The, the Bible says that he grew in stature uh, and in, in intelligence and in favor with, with God and men. And so 
we have now reached the point in Lesson 9 that we are now, uh, the Bible takes us uh, from that 12-year-old Jesus to, uh, to John and, and Jesus uh, in their 30s. So the beginning of both their ministries. Now, of course, John was, John the Baptist, uh, he was born before Jesus, right? And so, again, we're going to focus on John's ministry first uh, because that's how uh, Scripture does that as well. Uh, and we recall all of the, the verses we saw a couple of weeks ago about uh, John the Baptist, the, the, the forerunner of Christ, and how the Old Testament scriptures uh, prophesied about his, uh, his coming. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this account for us uh, in your, in your uh, pamphlets. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. We're going to just focus on Luke's account uh, because he gives us the most detail. Uh, but again, the, the, this, is, you know, this is really when this study of Jesus' life in a chronological order really helps us uh, because now we're going to be getting some pieces of the puzzle that, you know, that different inspired writers uh, give us. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke all write about the beginning of John's, the Baptist's uh, ministry. And so, um, again, we're not going to take the time to read all three of those accounts, but we'll look specifically at Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. That will give us uh, the most detail of it. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke all uh, go back to the book of Isaiah and chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, and proclaim, you know, that these verses here that Isaiah speaks of is talking about uh, John the Baptist. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, uh, a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Uh, let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low, and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad Valley, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so we've you know we've noticed that before that John the Baptist is the the forerunner of the Christ. Uh, you know, what does that mean when, when the Bible says that he's going to make the the, the way of the the paths of the Lord straight? I mean, what does that mean? Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Uh, clear the way for the Lord. You know, what, is, what do you think that means? You know, in the, in the day of, you know, in this day, uh, you know, if a king were to come into town, right, a, a king, somebody of royalty is going to come in town, uh, you know, he's going to have a crew of people that's going to go before him and they're going to make that path uh, straight. You know, they didn't have necessarily roads and uh, you know, easy transportation to get from one place to another. So there was a crew that went ahead and would you know make this make the pathway smooth. Right uh, back in 2017, uh, back back home or at our home in, in Grand Rapids on the Fourth of July, we uh, there, we were at the Fourth of July parade that was happening, and it just so happened that the Vice President Mike Pence was in town. Okay, and so we sat out. It was the hottest day of the summer, a scorching sun. Uh, that was probably the last time I got sunburned. I mean, it was really bad. We sat out there for hours and hours waiting for Mike Pence and his motorcade to come by. Right, and that's kind of the picture you get uh, because there was, you know, the, uh, 
a car, you know, black Cadillac after Cadillac after Cadillac, you know, coming through, paving the way uh, until, uh, you know, Mike Pence made it through. And of course, he was on the other side of the parade waving, so we didn't actually get to see him. Uh, you know, that's how those things work out. Uh, but they were paving the way for him to come through on this parade, you know. And we, we see that imagery with Jesus as well. Remember when he comes into Jerusalem uh, right a week before his death? You know, what are people doing? That, that triumphant entry that we often refer to. They're making a pathway for him, right? They're taking branches down, laying them on the ground. Uh, as Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem. You know, and so that's the picture we get of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. He is paving a way. He's making this path straight so that Jesus is going to come in behind him and begin his ministry. But he's getting the people ready, right? John is preaching a, a, a lesson or a sermons on repentance. He's telling people to repent for the kingdom is at hand. It's time to get ready. And, you know, we've kind of touched on John a little bit, uh, how he grew up in, in the desert regions, uh, not necessarily meaning, you know, like desert, like a Sahara desert, but just it was a deserted place. And again, you know, that would have been down here in this uh, region down here um, uh, that John grew up in. Right. He, so he's in isolation, sort of like Elijah. I remember Elijah and John are compared uh, within Scripture. They're, you know, they're these big, tough men uh, that wore camel's hair and a leather belt, you know, these really rough clothing. They ate wild honey and locusts. That was his diet. Um, and that was his purpose. You know, we see here uh, beginning in these sections that you know, John's purpose is about to begin, his, his ministry. Now, does John live a long life? What do we know about John's life? Yeah, he, he's not going to live a long life either. Uh, you know, Jesus is going to uh, live about, or he, he's going to have a ministry of about, uh, you know, three to three and a half years. And John's ministry is only going to be around for six months to a year before uh, he is going to be uh, beheaded. But uh, again, John, you know, or Matthew said of John that no one born of woman uh, is greater than John the Baptist. John was an important person. Uh, yet he wrote no books within Scripture. Uh, he performed no miracles, but he's, he was that voice crying out in the wilderness. He was that voice that was preaching a, a message of repentance, and people were flocking to him to be baptized in the Jordan River. Uh, John was most likely a Nazarite. Um, you know, we can read about Nazarites in the Old Testament uh, were people who took these vows. Sometimes they were vows taken at birth. Uh, the three main pieces of being a Nazarite was, number one, you couldn't touch dead bodies. Number two, uh, you couldn't cut your hair. And number three, you couldn't uh, eat or drink anything that came off of the vine. So, you know, no grape juice, no raisins, nothing like that. And that's, you know, you know we're told that John, when the angel Gabriel came to Zacharias, you know, he told, if you remember, he told Zacharias that, you know, he would not, um, you know, take any part of the fruit of the vine or anything like that. So we believe that John was a Nazarite or that he took the Nazarite vow. Uh, Samson was someone who was supposed to be a Nazarite from birth. But of course, you know, he uh, violated uh, a lot of those um, those things of the Nazarite. Again, remember, John, he's a fearless preacher. We're going to see here in these verses, he's going to call out the Pharisees and Sadducees and he's going to, you know, 
a brood of vipers. You know, he's going to call them snakes in the grass. He's really going to call them out. And, and again, at his death in Matthew chapter 14, you know, he's in prison because he's preaching against uh, Herod's marriage. Uh, the Bible tells us that Herod had taken his, his brother's wife to be uh, his new wife. And, of course, you know, uh, John was telling him that that marriage was unscriptural, that, that he ought not to be married to her. And so he gets thrown in prison. And, he, and we'll talk about this when we get to this part in the life of Christ. But, of course, we remember that John was beheaded uh, because of uh, Herodias, the, his uh, new wife. So uh, let's, let's read together Luke chapter 3, starting verses 1 through 18. I know we're running out of time quickly. Uh, But let's look at the ministry of John the Baptist. Again, Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Eturia and Traconiaitis and uh, Lysanias and tetrarch of Abilene, in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain will, and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, and the rough roads smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, What then shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. Now while the people were in a state of expectation, and all were wondering in their hearts about John, as to whether he was the Christ, John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the gospel to the people. So there's Luke's account. Uh, Matthew and Mark, again, they say uh, some things uh, pretty similar, but they leave out a lot of that uh, towards the end. So we want to start by looking at the importance of John's, uh, John's work. You know, this is, if you read the book of Mark, again, Mark is the shortest of the gospel accounts. Mark immediately begins with, uh, this, uh, with John's uh, ministry. It immediately begins that. And a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 1, uh, 21 and 22, 
Peter, when he is uh, talking among the, the, the men, discussing about getting a new apostle to, to replace Judas, he mentions that the beginning of Jesus' ministry uh, starts with the baptism uh, that, that Jesus take, takes place with John. So, you know, if you want a historical marker for when, you know, Jesus' ministry is going to begin, it's right now. It's about to happen. And that's what we're going to cover on Wednesday night uh, is Jesus' baptism. But again, we're focusing on what John uh, is about to do here uh, this morning. Again, you know, do the Jews have a, a misunderstanding of the purpose of Jesus's life? Yeah, we, we've talked about that quite a bit, right? They, they are looking for an earthly king. They are looking for somebody who's going to be a, a, you know, a fighter for the people that's going to get them out of Roman suppression. Uh, but that's... So John's got his work cut out for him, right? Because he's got to uh, introduce this idea to the people that the Messiah's kingdom would be spiritual, right? John's not out in the wilderness uh, looking for warriors and soldiers, uh, but he's preaching this message of repentance. He's telling people it's time to come back to God. It's time to uh, repent of your sins, to turn back to God, uh, and to be baptized for this, uh, for this repentance or uh, for the forgiveness of sins, now, is a, let me throw this out here. Is John's baptism, the, the baptism that John is uh, preaching about right now, is that the baptism uh, of the New Testament that's in effect today? <laughs> right. This baptism that John is preaching is going to uh, go out of effect uh, at the death of Jesus. Right? Uh, because we, we know that because in Acts chapter 19... Uh, there are some people who come to Apollos, and Apollos uh, you know, is talking to them, and they tell him uh, that they had been baptized in John's baptism. And he has to explain to them that you know, John's baptism is no longer in effect after the death of Christ. That now is the baptism of the Great Commission. And so they are then uh, baptized for the correct reasons in Acts chapter 19. Yeah, it's a it's for repentance. It's for uh, getting them, getting the people ready for uh, Jesus's uh, ministry to begin again, preparing the way. And so, you know, it was most likely. I mean, John's baptism was a good baptism while it was, you know, in effect. You know, most likely all of the apostles uh, were baptized. You know, under uh, you know the the baptism of John, because we never read uh, after Acts chapter two of any of the apostles being baptized, right, by, by uh, the, the baptism of the Great Commission that they were told by Jesus to go out and to baptize people by the authority of Jesus Christ or in his name. Um, and so while John's baptism was in effect, you know, during these three years, it was, it was a good thing, uh, but it is no longer the baptism uh, that the New Testament Christians have to follow after the death of Jesus, Right? After the old law is put away, and now the new law, uh, the law of Christ, is now uh, in effect. Did so, it also condition Jewish people to this concept of baptism, the immersion in water, which was something that was new? Yeah, they would have, um, they, they, were, they would practice baptism for, uh, you know, a cleansing ritual. But now, 
You know, this is now, again, as Mike said, conditioning them for, you know, the spiritual reasons. That this is going to uh, be a baptism of repentance to, uh, for the forgiveness of sins. And so, again, John is clearing the way. He's getting this, this message out there uh, that, that there is going to be one coming after him uh, who is going to be greater than he. Uh, uh, John's message and, and subsequently, this will be Jesus' message as well, is that the kingdom is at hand. Right, what does that tell us? What is the kingdom synonymous with? Church. The church. And so when John says the kingdom is at hand, is the church in, in existence at this time? No. No. Uh, Again, we are in a preparatory stages. We are getting to that. John and Jesus are both going to preach that message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And of course, uh, Acts chapter 2 is when uh, the kingdom is going to be established, when Jesus' um, church is going to be established. So there's the message, uh, the message of his ministry. Again, John is telling them, repent uh, and bear fruit in keeping uh, with repentance. And, you know, that really helps us understand what repentance truly means. You know, it, it's not just feeling sorry for uh, doing something, but uh, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, repentance is, you know, it's godly sorrow that brings forth repentance. It brings forth a change in our lives, right? And so John is telling them, uh, Repentance is going to require you to start, you know, bearing fruit of repentance, you know, showing uh, that, that you have uh, changed your mind about these things and that now you're going to focus and follow uh, Christ. And so we see, again, that fruit uh, that is now supposed to be displayed in their lives. And Luke tells us, uh, again, Matthew and Mark don't get into this. They don't write about this part, but Luke does. Uh, in verses 11, really 11 through 14, he's telling them some of the fruit that they should now have in their lives. Again, look at uh, verse 11. It says, um, those who have two tunics is to share with him who has none. Uh, and the same thing with food. You know, uh, share that. Verse 13, you know, he told the tax collectors uh, to stop uh, charge, overcharging people uh, for the, their taxes, but only collect what was necessary. In verse 14, he told the soldiers, again, those who were in power, not to misuse their power. You know, these are different types of fruit that they are now supposed to start bearing uh, in, in repentance, in uh, coming to the decision that I'm going to, uh, you know, follow God and follow, uh, you know, how he would want me to live uh, my life. Now, verse, uh, uh, verse 7 Verse 7, uh, Luke says, So he began saying to the crowds who were coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? But Matthew's account, he actually tells us specifically that he was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. He, he's calling them uh, the brood of vipers. Uh, really, you know, kind of a, a way of saying, you know, snakes in the grass. Right, uh, that they're, they're coming out wanting to uh, be baptized uh, in the Jordan, but yet uh, you know, they're not going to be ones who are going to be willing to uh, change their lives, to show this 
uh, repentance. Um, you know, and so Jesus, you know, told him, listen, you know, you can't, you can no longer rely on the fact that Abraham uh, is your father, right? Because that was a, a prideful thing that the Jews uh, practice, right? Abraham is our father, and so we are righteous because Abraham is righteous. Uh, but, you know, John is letting them know that, uh, you know, when, when the kingdom does come, you know, nationality is no longer going to be uh, God's chosen people. It's going to be uh, the spiritual family of Abraham, no longer the, the fleshly people of Abraham. You know, the kingdom is going to be for all people. And so, again, that, that's a really strong message. That, again, that John was this preacher uh, who delivered these strong uh, messages to the people. You know, he wasn't afraid to uh, call uh, the people out uh, because uh, of the way that they were acting. And, you know, that, that, it's a lot, there's a lot there uh, that, you know, that we can learn from. The baptism of his ministry. Again, we, we, uh, we you know, touched on this a little bit, but, uh, you know, obviously we, we refer to him as John the Baptist, right? And, and we can look at that word uh, Baptist or baptism uh, within, uh, you know, and know that this is a word that is uh, what we refer to as transliterated. And so the original Greek word is baptizo. And so uh, when the, the translators of the Bible decided to translate that, uh, there was not necessarily, well, Instead of using the word that they should have, like immersion, which is what baptizo means, immersion, they transliterated it and created a new English word for us called baptism. Right? And so uh, he has uh, you know, famously been known as John the Baptizer, John the Baptist, or you know, I've even heard you know, people refer to him as John the Immerser because that's what he was. He was one who immersed people uh, in water uh, that was... You know, his role, his ministry uh, to baptize those, immerse them in water. Uh, you know, we could look at a lot of different passages uh, later on in John chapter 3. You know, John was baptizing in a certain area, the Bible says, because there was much water. Right? Or, or uh, when Jesus gets baptized, it says that he went down into the water and he came up out of the water. Because, you know, it, it, let's be honest, if we went to an English dictionary... Uh, today and looked up the word baptism, you know, what's it likely going to tell us? Yeah, it's going to say the baptism is sprinkling, immer or sprinkling, pouring, or immersion, right? But if we go all the way back to the first century and look at the definition for baptism, it's to immerse, to dip, to fully submerge. Uh, that's, you know, the definition of uh, baptism, and so, and again, throughout those different scriptures we read about, about John baptizing, uh, you know, it was never a pouring or a sprinkling, but it was always a full immersion in uh, water. Now, let's think about this. I know, again, we're running shortly on time, but how was John's baptism? We're told in verse, in verse 3 of Luke chapter 3, it says that he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Well, how was John's baptism for the remission of sins without Christ's death? Yeah, it's a, again, John's baptism is a baptism 
of preparing, right? He's preparing the people for what is going to happen. He's preparing their hearts and their minds uh, for, uh, you know, the death that Jesus is going to, that's going to take place for Jesus, uh, that's going to, uh, you know, be powerful enough to, you know, wash away any sin that happens in the future or all the way into the past uh, for that perfect uh, sacrifice. Uh, uh, one more point let's make this morning, the preparation of his uh, ministry. Again, John says uh, there in verse uh, 11, well, this is Matthew's account, uh, but he says that uh, there's, going to become, there's going to be someone who's going to come after me, and, excuse me, and I'm not fit to remove uh, the thong from his sandal. You know, what, what's John's point when he says that? Right, right. Uh, you know, re- what would, if you were to remove someone's sandal, you know, in that culture, you know, th- that was, you know, what a servant did, right? uh, or, or, or a slave in that culture would have done that. And so John's saying, you know, I'm not even worthy to be his servant. Uh, that's how much he anticipated uh, Jesus's, um, his life to be. Uh, when, he, when he makes that statement there, uh, Luke chapter 3 and verse 16. Again, there, there's one who's coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and uh, fire. And so I want to focus in on that verse uh, specifically in our last few minutes uh, because that is a verse that you know, I know uh, has been difficulty for uh, many. Again, when he said... when John says of Jesus that he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Uh, Does anyone want to take a a stab as to what that meant? Yeah, that's going to be yeah, that's going to be the portion of the, the 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 Holy Spirit portion right there. But let me before we jump into that, let, let me ask you this: Did Jesus ever baptize anyone personally? Yeah, it's kind of uh, you know, John chapter three verse twenty-two. John writes, uh, "After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea." And there he was spending time with them and, and baptizing. But then when we get to chapter 4, verse 2, well, let's start in verse 1. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, uh, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And so, uh, you know, if we take those verses, you know, it really sounds like, uh, you know, in the Bible's, is talking about Jesus uh, baptizing. It's just that, you know, the group of men who went with them uh, being his apostles, you know, they were the ones who were doing, administering uh, the baptism, right? It doesn't matter, you know, who does uh, the baptism, right? Because Paul lets us know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right? That, you know, Paul even said, uh, you know, I thank God I did not baptize any of you uh, when he was talking to the church in Corinth because, you know, they were uh, sort of getting upset about, uh, these different factions that were growing. You know, some people wanted Peter to be the preacher. Some people wanted Paul to be the preacher. Some people wanted Apollos to be the preacher. 
Paul is saying, listen, it doesn't matter who's doing the baptism. Um, and I'm thankful that I didn't do that uh, so that you wouldn't be, you know, consider yourselves followers of me. So, uh, so the point I'm trying to make here is that it appears that Jesus, you know, they, in his ministry, you know, they're going around making disciples. Uh, but Jesus isn't actually physically doing the baptism. I don't think we can necessarily, well, uh, verse 4, verse 2, you know, tells us again that, you know, that it, he wasn't physically doing it, but his apostles were. So let's come back here to Luke uh, chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 16. At the very end of that verse again, it says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so uh, what John is talking about here are, you know, two different baptisms, right? The, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which only happens twice within Scripture, in Acts chapter uh, 2 on the apostles, and then in Acts chapter 10 on Cornelius, right? The, the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place for the, the apostles in Acts chapter 2, uh, which is, uh, you know, which was prophesied by Jesus saying that, you know, I'm going to go away, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to, get, he's going to take you into all truths. And that happens in Acts chapter 2 uh, for the, the day that the Jews uh, were able to enter into the church. And then in Acts chapter 10, in the household of Cornelius, uh, who was the first Gentile to become a member uh, of the church, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, baptized them on that day as well. So uh, Jesus is going to baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, we don't want the baptism of fire, right? Because he explains to us right there after in verse 17 that Jesus' winnowing fork is in his hand and thoroughly and to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn, he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Right? That, that baptism of fire that John is speaking of is the day of judgment. Right? That those who uh, will be cast into the lake of fire, that, that his winnowing fork is going to you know, th throw them into this unquenchable fire, a, a baptism of fire, uh, if you will. And so... So, uh, again, uh, you know, that, that's what we're talking about here, that uh, that is the baptism that, you know, Jesus personally is going to do uh, again, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens twice and then the baptism of fire that will happen on the day of judgment. But, of course, and we've already kind of, you know, pointed towards this, is that today, you know, how many baptisms are in effect? You know, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5 tells us there's one baptism, right? One baptism. And that, of course, is the baptism of the Great Commission that Jesus ordered uh, his disciples in Matthew chapter 28 to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? In uh, Jesus' uh, in Jesus's name or by his authority. So that was a, that was a lot. Uh, we covered a lot here this morning on uh, John's ministry Again, Wednesday evening, we'll continue uh, into the, the baptism of Jesus. And so I appreciate your, your uh, uh, attendance this morning and, uh, and comments. And, and uh, we will close with prayer, Brother Jason.